Well, thank you for joining me today on Financially Speaking. My name is Mitch Slater. I'm a Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor with UBS Wealth Management in Westfield, New Jersey. Where, along with my partners, Ann and Crystal, we do our best to bring you advice beyond investing and address our clients' most challenging financial needs. It's my sincere hope that each and every episode of this podcast will educate you on personal finance and real-life business issues of the day. So let's jump right in. Beautiful tenor sax was the opening track of my guest's first solo record, Town Without Pity. The title song, a wonderful film, by the way, with Kirk Douglas, E.G. Marshall of the same name, originally performed by Gene Pitney, which actually won the Golden Globe for Best Song and was nominated for an Oscar that same year, 1961, when my guest was a nine-year-old boy in Lakewood, New Jersey. Ed Mannion became part of the Jersey Shore bar scene And after recording in his first album in 1970 in Nashville, he started jamming late night at the infamous Upstage Club in the late 60s. And that's when his life kind of changed forever, meeting two other guys trying to make a name for themselves, Southside Johnny and a skinny kid with a big voice, Bruce Springsteen. And of course, Stephen Van Zandt, all three of which would go on to be an enormous part of Ed's incredible journey over the last 50 years. That's included playing the Super Bowl with Bruce and the E Street Band. Last November at Beacon Theater, finishing up a multi-year global tour with, in my opinion, the best live band that I've seen in years, Little Steven and the Disciples of Soul. So we're going to talk more about that later and the other rock and roll Hall of Famers that you've played with. But Eddie, it is so great to finally have you on my program. It's great to be here, Mitch. Uh, Thanks for having me. I think I want to start off by saying a few short things. One, I think we are definitely going to get through this horrific pandemic, and I'm sure a vaccine is on the way. I'm almost convinced of it. And and, uh, I want to just want to say, just God bless all all the people that that have died. As of today, 514,690 people throughout the world. Just want to say God bless to, to absolutely their families and 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 friends. Number three, a change is going to come. Number four, Black Lives Matter. Number five, vote in November and wear your mask. Well, that's, that's great. All I have to say. That's <laughs> what a great way to start. And full disclosure, uh, yeah. I've I've known Eddie for many years. We become friends, and for my money the best sax player around today. So Eddie, thank you for that beautiful thank beginning. You. I you, agree man. with your sentiment 100%. And I'm really glad to put that wonderful message out there. This 2020 has been a year I think we would all like to forget, survive, and hopefully yeah. be able to uh, to move on from. Um, this, but, is where, this is yeah. where I've been for 138 days, right here in, mm-hmm. in, my, uh, in my basement, working on arrangements for a new record. and 
And in fact, here they all are. Okay. <laughs> well, great. <laughs> now it's ready to go. Now all I have to do is record it. Exactly. So before we start, let yeah, you yeah, mentioned your sure. home. How, how are you, your lovely wife? And, you know, I mean, we're all kind of struggling with this pandemic and, and everything happening in the streets. Um, so you, to keep busy, you've been really writing music, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're doing great here. And Colleen sends her best. And uh, sure. yeah, we're, yeah, we're just uh, doing all the right things. Uh, staying home and uh, wearing our mask every anywhere anytime we go to this it's it's required in all the supermarkets and yeah any, anywhere we go and uh, things aren't quite as bad here as it is in New Jersey and New York but it's but it's bad right Eddie's and, outside uh, Pittsburgh right outside of Pittsburgh yes. right right yeah. so were you supposed to be on the road this year no I I had a few things that I had to cancel but no not a road tour. Well, I, I, I was speaking with John Sher last week, and, and he yeah. said he doesn't see any live music, certainly in 2020, and is hopeful with a vaccine. By next summer, musicians can resume their tour. But yeah. I, I know you, and I'm sure you miss being on the road. You've been a road warrior for, for so many years. Uh, being on lockdown, I'm sure, has to be yeah. uh, extra challenging. Yeah. Well, I, I was very fortunate to work the last three years with a uh, Little Stephen and the Disciples of Soul as a horn director. We did two albums, I guess, if you count the live album that probably will be coming out at the end of the year, I guess, three okay. albums. That's sure. We were just very fortunate to... And a DVD. <laughs> to have gotten out there and traveled the world. We went to Australia. We went to Europe uh, three or four times mm -hmm. and uh, throughout the United States. And uh, very fortunate to, to accomplish all that. Before oh, the pandemic, yeah, and we'll talk. And, uh, uh, you know, we'll talk I, I'm just very, very fortunate. I, I don't know. I'm a little bit older, and but I, I, I feel so bad for young musicians and people out there just starting a career. This is, uh, this is something that will uh, devastate the music business for years to come. No, I uh, agree. I mean, I, I will, I will say that at least. In this era, there is streaming, and it has given some musicians the opportunity to at least come on every now and then and 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 get some of their music out there. But it's yeah. a lot easier for the established artists than than the yeah. newer artists, for sure. I don't, I don't really know what the young people are going to do. I mean, can you imagine coming out of music college and you get your first uh, Broadway show, and you you know you get a pretty pretty decent job, and you get married and and then Broadway's completely canceled. Yep, the whole year. For the whole year. And uh, wh what do you do? I mean, there's, it's just, it's, you know, you, you really have to change, change your whole, um, your outlook and you have to do something else until this all goes away. But, yeah, uh, and it's cer certainly, yeah, definitely the music business. I mean, many of the industries that I, the people I've been speaking to have said the exact yeah. same thing. Earlier today, three men who have had quite an impact on your career, three buddies who grew up playing all the Jersey bar bands, Southside Johnny, Little Steven, and Bruce, were on E Street Radio on Sirius. Bruce has been doing these live-from-home shows every week. And they were reminiscing, playing songs that matter. They actually gave a nice little tribute to you as well because pretty oh. much every song that was played today you so appeared on. Um, <laughs> wow. And, wow. and it, you know, it's a bit of irony as we head out of the darkness, to quote Stephen, down this gypsy highway, to quote yeah. Bruce, 
finding love on the wrong side of town. I couldn't resist. So first off, each of these guys gave you a nickname. So why don't we start with the nicknames? Okay. For, let, me, let me say that all three of those guys, Bruce Springsteen, Little Steven, Southside Johnny, when you talk about me going to music school, I, I mean, I went to Berkeley College of Music for two semesters, and uh, my real music school that I, that I went to, I have to say, is, is, uh, is the School of Music of uh, Bruce Springsteen, Little Steven, Southside Johnny. That, that is where I learned, I learned so much, you know, and I, I learned it from doing it you know right. we you know we, we would arrange a aretha franklin song without love on the spot and steve would put his input on and input in and and, and we would you know we, we would learn our craft i learned everything from them and uh it was a remarkable it's a fictional school but it really right. was uh, college my, of rock uh, and roll knowledge I, certainly right with those three with those three guys yes yes so yes. so let's start with uh, okay. the name i know the most kingfish where'd that one come from well that came from little steven uh, most definitely you know it was originally called clams yeah with south south side johnny okay As a matter of fact uh, if you take the uh, this uh, this time this time is for real album right which I, you can see me on here. Mm-hmm. Oh, over here. Yeah. I think <laughs> yeah. Frank Stefanko well, took that photo, if I'm not mistaken. Is that right? Yep. And on the, on the back has all the nicknames. And my name is uh, Eddie Clams Mannion, baritone, <laughs> vocals, class. Yep. And cool. I mean, you know, I couldn't. Can't beat that. Was, you can't beat that, you know. And then, so that's what I was for years. And, right. And the reason I got the name Clams was uh, our, our first roadie uh with Southside Johnny his name was Gary A and mm-hmm. we would uh, after rehearsals we we'd sneak over to Mrs. J's and and uh, eat clams on the half shell right and I love I love clams so mm-hmm. he started calling me clams and uh so that that stuck mm-hmm. so for for years with Southside uh after this time it's for real and hearts of stone and uh all the Jukes albums up until yeah. 1982 Truly the best albums. Those first few albums are absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Four or five albums. Hearts of Stone is without a doubt. I I don't know. It's it's in my top five albums of all time. And I have all the, I have all the, uh, yeah, yeah. That picture. I had Frank, I had Frank Stefanko on with Pam Springsteen uh, a couple of weeks ago and both talking photography and Frank spoke specifically about that photo right there. Which on, I on think, the front. Yeah. On, well, he yeah, talked about, front, yeah. I think he mentioned, speaking of clams, it might have been at Umberto's in the village where some of those that, photos were taken. Uh, actually, that's where we took the back picture. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At Umberto's. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, St- Stephen had a lot to do with that. And, yes, uh, of course. Of course, <laughs> Little Italy. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so yeah. did Bruce, did Bruce yeah. have a nickname for you? Yes, he did. He called me, uh, started calling me the Thin Man. Okay. And in, uh, in uh, probably the the end of the Wrecking Ball tour, and mm-hmm. uh, I was actually quite surprised by it. And I, mm-hmm. and uh, actually, he he called me Thin Man a few times before before 2012, and then the end of 2012, going into the High Hope store, mm-hmm. he started introducing me as. Eddie Thin Man Mannion. Exactly. Exactly. Oh so, boy. Yeah. That's, that's when you know. That's when you know you made it. When you when you start getting well, the nicknames from these guys. I mean, it's a silly little thing, but 
Um, and obviously yeah. you've met my mom and he, he nicknamed her Queen yeah, B yeah. and everything. Yeah. But when I posted that I was interviewing you today on Twitter, Stephen immediately wrote something and he said, don't miss Uncle Mitchie with the Kingfish. Um, wow. So yeah. I never knew I was Uncle Mitchie. That was a, a new name for me. So I feel <laughs> it's like being insulted by Don Rickles, which happened to me once. It's, it's right. just one of those great things you'll never forget. Well, anyway, I think Kingfish is. Yeah, the, that's the, the classic. That, that will stick. But yeah. when, when, when Bruce Springsteen gives you a nickname, I think you got to go with it. Absolutely. You know? So let's go back pre-upstage. Pre so yeah. what was the first show that you ever played? And I guess the, the, it's a deeper question because it's really when did you pick up the saxophone? You're, you're, you're a child of the oh, 60s. You okay. saw the, you Elvis, the Beatles. Everybody picked up yeah. a guitar. Why did you pick up the sax? I picked up the sax primarily... I guess in junior high school in sixth grade, I was uh, roaming around the school uh, music room, band room. We had a teacher called William Shotwell, and he saw that I sort of had an interest in, in the saxophone because I was walking around and I, I picked one up and started looking at it kind of seriously. So then one day he knocked on an English class I was in and dragged me out in the hallway and, and said, uh, all right, are you going to play the saxophone or not? And I said, okay, all right. I'll, of course, I was got very interested. My mom bought me my first saxophone when I was 10. remember that day going to a music store and picking up brand new alto sax she bought and uh, put it on the back of my bicycle and drove it home. And, and that, that was the big deal. My mom, my mom you know, worked hard. She was a, a waitress and uh, was there a sax idol of yours at age 10 that was as part of the influence for you to get that instrument? Well, it was a little, not really. Uh, see, I, I was, the Beatles came out. And right. Seeing, seeing the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show. Sure. That made me get interested in music. And, and, uh, and we actually, we started, you know, having bands with kids in the neighborhood and, uh, we, I had uh, friends down the street called the Varvers, and one of the brothers played guitar, and the other brother played drums, and, mm -hmm. and I had my sax. So I just started, we started playing and put a band together and played Beatles songs. And luckily, we, there was another group called the Dave Clark Five. And right. Dave Clark Five had a saxophone, so that mm -hmm. that was great. That suddenly was great. Cool. <laughs> so suddenly, I had some parts that I could yep. play. And but the Beatles was a, a, a great experience, and it's hard to believe, um, you know, yeah. how exciting that was. And yeah. you know, to, to every to single every single musician I've ever uh, interviewed <laughs> or met always goes. It all goes back to Elvis and the Beatles and the influence that that had on their lives. And and I, I mean, I just think I think you know millions of musicians around the world who were fortunate enough to grow yeah. up in the era that yeah. we grew up in. You're, you're a little bit older, not by much than me. You know, you just don't forget where you were watching, no, watching them, those it, nights. It just know. was a, it was a, a neighborhood phenomenon. Right. You know, I remember the Beatles came out at Seoul and the next day, and, you know, I'm walking past my neighbor's house and, and the uh, Eileen Haley's stuck her head out the window and she's screaming, Paul, Ringo, <laughs> you know, <laughs> You know, and it was, it was, uh, we were all obsessed with it. And, right. And, then, and we're going to, we're going to get back and, to the Beatles and, uh, yeah, later sure. because you have quite sure. a moment there, but did you see the Beatles in the sixties? Were you at any of the shows in Atlantic city or Shea or any of those? No, unfortunately not. 
Yeah. No. Yeah. But, yeah. Uh, my uh, my sister luckily was at the uh, Atlantic City show that uh, my uncle was a writer and was able to get tickets to. And you, you just don't forget well, those things, certainly. Luckily, in 40 years ahead. Yeah, um, well, we'll get there. We got a story. Oh, okay. uh, we got a, that's okay. a good story. I'm saving that one. So <laughs> you also spent some time in the Navy being trained as a photographer, um, which I know is a real passion of yours. When you were doing this well, in the Navy, was, was Vietnam still raging? Vietnam was completely over. Okay. When I joined, I joined the Navy. Mm-hmm. If Vietnam was ongoing, I would have never joined the Navy. Actually, I was got out of the draft, and uh, um, I went to Woodstock in 1969, and <laughs> and I was not going to, you know, I got out of the, of the draft in the Army, and uh, the military was not something, although I was in high school, I was accepted as an alternate candidate for the mm-hmm. Air Force Academy, but never went. But I had, uh, it was like 1973, and I, I was a little discouraged from being in bands. I, bands kept breaking up. And, right. And uh, so I, I found uh, a liking for photography and uh, was going to go to school for photography. Couldn't get the loans for school. Drove out to Wyoming. And uh, I was going to go to school in Montana for mm-hmm. Montana University for photography and then didn't get the loans but it kept kept driving to Spokane, Washington. Read an article about the Naval School of Photography in a photographic magazine. And I said, Well, you know, maybe if I joined the Navy mm-hmm. I could get the same education. Smart. You know, and and and, and it worked out, you know. Mm-hmm. But but Vietnam was was over. Vietnam right. was was not a Vietnam War was over. Well so that's good. I, you know, I didn't you're... I didn't feel you know, I didn't feel like anything wrong with, with joining the Navy at that time. Absolutely. So yeah. I'm not going to let you drop. You mentioned you were at Woodstock yeah. and anyone yeah. that I ever I was, meet that I, was at I, Woodstock, I, I have to tell, tell me your experience because <laughs> everyone has a story. Well, actually I was the, uh, probably the best dressed person at Woodstock. Uh, <laughs> I had black, black pants and a white shirt on that actually I had a gig with a, a band I was in called Little Joe and the Kokomos. And we were playing Friday night at Hal Lane's on Route 9 in Freehold, New Jersey. Right. And uh, we, were, we were a bar band uh, playing Beatles and, and, mm-hmm. and Top 40, uh, Hold On, I'm Coming. And, sure. You know, Flying the Family Stone. And mm-hmm. Myself and the drummer heard about uh, Woodstock and – and uh, we decided after the gig, well, maybe we should drive up there. So we got in the car and drove, drove. By that time, the gates were down and the fences and there's no tickets. And so we wound up there and we stayed, I stayed for, uh, for I guess, three days till, till the very end. I think I ate a hot dog in one day. Yeah. And that's about it. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, but I had black pants and white shirt on. Mm-hmm. Short hair, and uh, it was just a. Uh, it had to be an incredible from, experience watching. Came, came, came from playing in a soul band to go, yeah. and, 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 and what a great experience! And, oh, uh, I can only imagine yeah. seeing yeah. seeing the artists. And it's funny when when I interviewed Maureen Van Zant a few months yeah. ago, and she told me more about her Woodstock story, which is very unique. She literally flew mm-hmm. in a helicopter with Jimi Hendrix to Woodstock. Oh. 
watched wow. Jimmy play the national anthem and then flew out. So one of wow. her great regrets, even though she was huh. dating somebody in Jimmy's band, was that she didn't stay. <laughs> yeah. But she could she was there and certainly yeah. flying with Jimi Hendrix is a good story. But she she missed she had to wait for the record to come out and yeah. the movie <laughs> to hear the rest yeah. of the music. <laughs> Talking about Jimi Hendrix, as I'll yeah. finish that. Sure. I can remember washing the mud off of me, finally found the car about five miles from from the concert site and jumped in a river, took my clothes off, mm -hmm. washing the mud off, and I could hear Jimi Hendrix playing the national anthem in the mm. distance. What a and memory. And got my car and drove home. So Wow. <laughs> that's that's a great memory. So, yeah. so yeah. we push forward a few years. You and a, and a trumpet player, um, uh, Tony Palagforis. How did you Tony, know Tony? Palagrosi. Yeah, Palagrosi. Yeah, sorry, yeah. Tony and I uh, played in a few bar bands. One was called Amusement. and. Uh, we, we were playing uh, bars. We, we would, Stu Rick uh, used to be with the Motifs. Uh, he, would, he used to book the band. Mm -hmm. And uh, we played up in Boston. And we played all the clubs in New Jersey and Colonel's Garter and uh, played in Cherry Hill. And so um, we had played, it was like 1970, 71. Then I joined the Navy in 73 and I came home uh, 75. And then there was a note on my door from Tony Palagrosi and said, uh, hey, there's this band uh, in Asbury Park. They're looking for some horn players. So do you want to go up and audition? So I said, yeah, sure. And so we drove up to Asbury Park and it turned out to be Southside John and Asbury Jukes. And, and we auditioned. Uh, I don't think we actually played anything. I think, I think Southside Johnny's uh, wife at the time, Betty, just asked us what, what our shirt size was. And I, <laughs> I said 15 and a half and she said, no, you're not, you're, you're 14 and a half. And I said, okay, I'm a, and then we were in the band. That, wow. Yeah, that's one of the great auditions <laughs> of all time. What's, that, great what's your shirt size? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> boy, but, did, uh, boy, did I they think, get, they got lucky. I, mean, I think the main rec, <laughs> you know, the main requirement is that, that we had a horn, you know, that we actually, wow. and, uh, but then, you know, when, when, Southside heard us play. Everything was good. And, uh, sure. And I mean, we, we, we joined. There was only, at the time, there was only one saxophone player in the band, mm -hmm. Carlo Novi, who passed right. away. Right. So then Tony and I joined. There was three horns. So we, mm -hmm. we were the original Miami horns. Absolutely. That played live. With, it all started there. And, yeah. and your baritone sax solo on songs like I Played the Fool really kind of led you to appear on the guy that was writing Southside's records besides Bruce, Steve Van Zant, and his yeah. first solo album, Men Without Women, which I believe you're featured on forever. Yeah. On the original recording there. You're on a you know, a lot of his albums. And as as we talked about earlier, Hearts of Stone certainly I think one of the one of the great albums of all time, music written by Steven and Bruce. Um the Fortunately, I, I I think I I've, I've recorded every Every song Steve ever um, wrote that had mm -hmm. horns, I think. No. I, oh, absolutely. Pretty, pretty much, you know. Yeah, no, I mean. Yeah. Um, but to, just do you remember the Hearts of Stone recording session? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, it was at the, um, what was it, the power station, I think. Power station, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. A record plant, probably one of Re them. Yeah. Record, yeah. 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 yeah, well, just just such a great record. So, so how'd you yeah. meet Bruce? When did you first meet him? 
when I was uh, in high school, I, I, I used to go to the Upstates Club, but they, 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 <clears throat> I didn't really know Bruce and Southside and Stephen. I was, I actually, I, I jammed a few times with the house band, right? Uh, Margaret and the Distractions, and two, two of the uh, people in that band were in a band I was in called Lazarus. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I knew Bruce from the Upstates. I, I think we played together a few jams, but we didn't didn't really know each other. I remember this band, uh, Lazarus, uh, Ray Cichon was the guitar player with Lazarus. He, he wrote most of our original songs mm-hmm. and he was a, uh, a big mentor with Bruce as far as playing the guitar. He actually taught him uh, how to play the guitar and gave me a few lessons. And uh, Bruce mentions uh, Ray Cichon and his brother, uh, Walter, and, and yeah. a song yeah. called The, uh, the Wall. Right, um, and he and and, so and on Springsteen on Broadway, he talks about both of them as and, well. Yeah, yeah. And Walter was uh, the lead singer with the Motifs. So, right. so Ray Sean was a guitar player with the Motifs, and we had a band called Lazarus. Mm-hmm. I have the uh, album cover right here. Oh wow, Boy, that's <laughs> and, a classic. And, uh, it was, I'm sure. I'm sure our friend Rich Russo has that record. He has every record. He might, yeah, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah. So, so, um, well, uh, me there, was him, a, there, yeah. there was a time, the time when the, the guitar player quit the band and they right. were auditioning guitar players. And I can remember coming to rehearsal one day and, and, uh, we, we used to rehearse in a chicken coop with a mm-hmm. space heater to keep, keep it warm. Right. And one day Bruce was there auditioning. And I think that's actually the first day that I met him. And, uh, wow. Of so course he was he auditioning for Lazarus. He, he was, yeah. He was probably in Steel but, Mill at the time, I guess. He was, yeah. yeah. But he he didn't join the band. Uh, yeah. I think I think we were a little too uh, too jazz orientated. Like uh, we were uh-huh. more like a jazz right. fusion fusion band, right? Like like Dreams or right. Although ironically, yeah. he had no. David Sanchez in his first band. Speaking of yeah. speaking yeah. of jazz and fusion, yeah. but but yeah. the, the, the real the real but, story here is that you have played such a huge part in what I would call the second part of Bruce's incredible career, playing on iconic albums. You know, The Rising, Wrecking so, Ball, which I see behind you, so High Hopes. Ju- yeah, yeah. We, we when I joined the Jukes, um, we we did a lot of. Sh- that's where I really started to meet. Bruce and and get to know him and we did so many shows with the E Street Band with the Miami Horns and uh, yeah we did shows in uh, the Carlton Theater in Red Bank in 1976 77. Right. Well, the and, version of Tenth Avenue Freeze Out that Bruce played today on his show, oh, you are in that because that, it's from oh, the live 75 to 85. That's you, right. That's you. That's you on that's, the on the, on the yeah. sax in that. Yeah. Um, so. Um, yeah, I remember. I remember. I used to have that on my answer machine. I used, to, I used to have Bruce's voice saying, "Miami horns, ladies and gentlemen." Yeah. <laughs> that's how, that's how. Well, it's really. I actually always been one of my favorite versions of Tenth Avenue. Um, yeah. And then you get your first tour with Bruce on Tunnel of Love, which for anyone yeah. that was lucky enough like me to see many shows on that tour. That was absolutely a brilliant, brilliant tour, and the horn section was featured so prominently every night. I mean, that was really yeah. for me as a fan having, you know, been on the river tour and darkness and, and, um, born in the USA really for the first time, me seeing the Miami horns, so to speak, as part of the show. And one photo that I, I always go back to that you post all the time, Eddie is 
you being on the tour it's plane a, with the tunnel of love thing on uh, every seat. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Um, it was an, an incredible tour. Uh, yeah. it, it, you know, it's just the U Street Band, um, Clarence and mm-hmm. Danny Federici and, you know, every, every, everybody was at the top of their game. Oh, and without they, a doubt. It, it was so powerful, mm-hmm. such an amazing sound. Yeah. And uh, I, I can't tell you how exciting it was. It no, was, I'm, you know, just I, to be, be there, to be behind the, you know, behind the Iron Curtain playing in, yeah. in Berlin to, you know, 100, incredible show, 200,000 people. Yeah. Um, I mean, really just massive amount of people. And, and clearly it's you exciting. Bruce, it's yeah. exciting. I mean, and playing with Bruce has been so exciting, right. You know, for my whole, my whole life, it's just yeah. like, uh, I'll play with them and then I'll say, okay, when am I going to do it again? Yeah. Well, we're going to get yeah. to that because and I just, I just wait, wait till that time. And, and fortunately it, it, it's, it keeps happening. I mean, you, you develop, you develop this terrific yeah. rapport with Bruce and obviously with Steven for all these years. Yeah. You, you, one of the things that really came into play probably on Tunnel of Love for you and then so much more with Steven um, and Bruce in, in the By last the few years. Yeah, there you There's go. the uh, program. Yep, that's right. I have I, that. I have that in a shelf behind me here. I, I save a lot. You know, I, yeah. I, like yourself, you know, I, I'm fortunate because I'm a musician, mm-hmm. but I'm also a, a fan. Right. I, you know, I, I really like Bruce Springsteen's music. You know, he is a unbelievable songwriter he has the most energy of anybody in the whole world i i admire his personality his performing you know and uh, i'm fortunate you know to to have worked with steven who i also look up to and Southside. you know these these are my mentors yeah these are my you know but I, i was lucky you know that i got to know him and uh you know, it's just exciting, you know. Oh, I mean, it's, you know. it's, it is. And you can tell it every time, well, every time you listen to the albums, but let, uh, also every time you're on stage. And yeah. what I was going to say is you took photos in all of these cities too. Yeah. Um, a lot throughout of, a lot the of, years. a lot of horn players don't, don't really get it. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, I, I really like rock and roll. Yeah. I really like rhythm and blues. That's, that's, that's my music. And, and, so you were not a jazz guy um, growing up with, with your saxophone. You were not, were you, I mean, it was like Charlie Parker, a big influence or no, who, I, who I some was of a, your influences? I was a, I was a, a jazz guy. I mean, I listened to everybody. I love the saxophone. Right. You know, I, I love the sound of the saxophone. And, and to me, it's all about the sound of it and the tone. And, and, uh, but when it comes to jazz, I'm, I'm more, it's the melody and the sound of the sax that what I look for. And, but, but I, I listen, you know, of course, if you're a saxophone player, you have to listen to everybody. I mean, I listen to Charlie Parker. I listen to Dexter Gordon. I, I listen to Illinois Chiquette. I listen to Stanley Tarantino, but I, I have I, a Stanley Tarantino. My, my dad worked at CTI records, uh, oh, Free Taylor. Yeah. And it was when I was around my bar mitzvah age, 13, 14 years old. Yeah. And my dad was working at 30 Rock for a couple of years before they were bought out by Motown. And, and he, he went into a different career. And I had the opportunity to go and be at a few recording sessions. And I was actually at the recording session for Don't Mess With Mr. T, which mm-hmm. today is still one of my favorite jazz records listening to, to Stanley Tarantino. So I've always... Right. Had a had a real real place in in my heart for that. Did you have a teacher specifically that 
that you think made a big difference in your life though? I'm, I'm, yeah. I, I, I had a few, I had a few, like I said, my, uh, junior high school teacher, uh, William Shotwell and mm-hmm. my high school band director, Frank Unger, big influence on me. He was, he was, uh, in the big bands and during the war and world war two. And he, he really knew big band music and knew about section playing and, and how to play in a big band and how to play in a, in a sax section. And he taught that, um, to us and, uh, very fortunate to have, have somebody like that. I also worked at a restaurant called the ferry boat restaurant in Brielle when I was 17. My mom, <laughs> mom is a waitress there. And I was in Brielle last Thursday, actually. And there was a, uh, a saxophone player, clarinetist yeah. named Jimmy Hamilton. He and his wife had a quartet, and they played at the ferry boat. And I got to know him, and, and I got to take a few lessons from him. And that was uh, an amazing experience. He, he, of course, was a saxophone with Duke Ellington Orchestra for years, and a uh, great clarinet player. He gave me a few lessons that were instrumental in, in my, my sound. But, of course, playing rock and roll, you know, my when I heard a saxophone, I was like, well, whoa, who, who's that? And then I find out, well, that's King Curtis, you know? Right. And then, and then I would start listening to all the King Curtis's records or the, that's Junior Walker. And, sure. and then I'd start listening to all Junior Walker's records, but then, then I started to branch out and, and uh, you know, and, but I, I pretty much stuck to R and B saxophone players and just like Clarence Clemens, uh, the right. same influence Clarence, Clarence had sure. would be the, the influences that I had, you know, mm-hmm. Sandman Taylor, Ornette right. Cobb, Illinois Chiquette. When did you okay. first meet the big man? We met probably in, uh, in 1976 when, when I joined the Jukes. Mm-hmm. When, when we did our first show at the Stone Pony, Memorial Day broadcast, May 30th. I, um, I, probably, I was listening were, and I have, yeah. and I have, <laughs> there is film from that night. That's incredible. Is that right? Is that yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. There's, there's film. I've seen film from, from that night. Oh yeah, I know oh. it's on YouTube. I'm I'm almost certain I've seen film, oh. some film from that night. Yeah. Do you know if there's any film from the Carlton Theater for the shows that we did, like the show we did when Southside got sick and? Well, that and, that I'd have to ask Rich Russo because he's okay. the archivist, and if anybody okay. know that, we'll find out that, from that, Rich. That, but meeting yeah. meeting Clarence, yeah. what, you know, what was what was your first thought? You know, he's he as Bruce, I mean, he's bigger than life kind of guy, you know, so. Well, you know, he, he was a saxophone player with the U Street Band and I was a saxophone player with Southside Johnny and Nasbury mm-hmm. Jukes. We had a lot in common. We had yes. a, lot of re- a lot of respect for each other. <laughs> I could tell uh, that. We would get together many times and just talk about saxophone and talk about reeds and what are good mouthpieces and, mm-hmm. you know, what, what King Curtis records do you like? And, right. uh, you know, uh, we talk about our influences, Lee Allen, and we talk about Junior Walker, and sure. uh, we we talk about you know a, a lot of things musical. We just but we we had a lot of respect for each other's playing. Clearly, you know? clearly, yeah. and, and, and 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 then you know we'll get to it. But you got the opportunity to be on stage with him, and I'll, I'll save that for a little bit. Yeah. But I want sure. people to understand that. And we've talked a lot about the Jersey guys, okay? But you have also toured and played alongside the likes of Robert Cray, B.B. King, Albert Collins, John Lee Hooker, all right? And in fact, I believe an album that was nominated for a Grammy, if, uh, uh, a if another that, article I read is correct. <laughs> yeah, a lot of that's true. But, you know, somehow Wikipedia and pe- people 
start putting things in. I never, I never played with John Lee Hooker. Okay. I, All right. I, but I, I was fortunate to have not stayed just within the Southside Johnny, Little Steven group. I was right. fortunate to get out there as a musician right. and do other things. And work with people like in 1981, I, I joined uh, Diana Ross's band. What was that like? And, and, playing, and, and, after playing with Southside um, Johnny, going to Diana Ross, that had to be a little bit of that, a different. <laughs> that was hard. Yeah. That was scary. Mm-hmm. And once we did it, once I did it, it was an accomplishment that I could always smile about. I mean, we were hired as a five-piece horn section to work in Diana Ross's touring band. At the time, Diana Ross was selling more records than anybody. She, oh, she, absolutely. She, yeah. she, was, she was huge. It yeah. was a huge thing. And, and, then, and then our first shows with her were, were in Las Vegas, and we played at the Riviera Hotel. Oh, wow. And it was just so exciting, and I can't tell you how thrilling and, uh, and how scared I was to play with a band like that because it it was a real show band from Las Vegas, some of the best musicians in the world. The conductor was uh, Joe Garcia. Joe Garcia was Elvis Presley's conductor. I when, thought so. Right. When Elvis played at the Hilton. And right. so, you know, I was like, all right, Diana Ross saw us play with the Jukes and she loved right. the way we played, so she hired us. But these other guys, Joe Garcia and, and the other band members, they, did, they didn't know us from anything. And we just mm-hmm. came into this so it was a, a a lot of eyes were on us, and uh, we had to uh, we did a great job, and it was such a great learning experience playing with a an orchestra like that. And 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 uh, was there one particular you know, song just, where you, 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 you don't you don't go in and you don't make a mistake there? You know, no. what I'm saying? you're playing playing the big room, yeah, and, and at the Riviera, and later on we played the big room at Caesar's Palace, sure. And, uh, you know, but it was such a great experience. Uh, I remember remember being at Caesar's Palace and, you know, I think we met so many people. I mean, Brooks Shields was in the audience. Michael Jackson was in the audience. Right, Uh, of course. And after the show, Stanley Davis Jr. walked up on stage and and walked up to me and and said, man, you play a great sax. And I I said, oh, wow. Thanks, Stanley. You know, (laughs) I mean. What a wonderful compliment from. Oh, I, you know, oh you, might, you might have said that to every saxophone player, but but, but you'll uh, take it. You know, I'll, I mean, I'll take it. And it was yeah. just a musical experience that that came in quite handy later on. You know, working with Stephen with the right. Cycles of Soul. And, sure. You know, it just made you much mature musician, and yeah, and, and it was a huge accomplishment. Oh, absolutely, and work with and. Somebody yeah, you play. Listen, you played with other artists. I don't know if it was on their records or or live, but you know, obviously played with Dave Edmonds, John hmm. Bon Jovi. Oh. I believe you did some stuff with Keith Richards. Not really. No, that's another Wikipedia. That's I another did, Wikipedia thing. Okay. I, I I did do I did play a sax solo on Shake Roll and Roll with okay. uh, Keith Richards and Bob Dylan. Okay. At, at a show called Guitar Legends in Seville, Spain, 1991. Okay, we'll take uh, it. Yeah, that, that counts. I mean, it was a one one time thing, but, right? Uh, you know, but but I was more more or less. Uh, I've been been fortunate to really be a rock and roll saxophone player, playing with uh, Willie Deville. I, I worked with a lot. Right, wonderful. And, uh, Willie was just a 
tremendous musician, song. Gary U.S. Bonds, obviously, on that great album Gary, dedication, yeah. which is... Gary Bonds. Yeah, but yeah. but uh, the real musicians, musicians band, probably the greatest band I've ever worked with, besides Bruce and Steven mm-hmm. and Johnny, is Robert Cray. Robert, oh. I actually yeah. became a member of the Robert Cray band, myself wow. and uh, Mark Pender. We recorded one album with Robert Cray called uh, Shame Plus a Sin in 1993. And, um, but that was, a, that was an experience, you know, because Robert Cray is just an incredible blues guitar player. We, mm. we met everybody. We actually took the Memphis Horns place. We met so, so many musicians. Uh, finish up, it, it, was a, it was great to be able to, you know, branch out and, and, right. and not just stay with one thing my whole life. And no, you've, 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 you've talk yeah. about being diversified. You, you've got your, your resume is, is fantastic. So, but, but there's one other guy that you play with and that's you. And, and I want to pause yeah. here and talk a little bit more about your music. Um, you recorded uh-huh. a, uh, a beautiful album. I happen to have uh, the poster oh, um, from one of the shows that I was at, um, at McLoon's uh, a few years ago, well, after your album nightlife came out which we heard a song earlier from, and, and we'll hear a little something later. You put together a great band for that show. I know Reagan Richards uh, just comes to mind. And um, who's the other singer you had? You had another wonderful... Um, uh, uh, Lisa Lowell. Lisa Lowell, right, yeah, right, yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, just terrific. And you're even yeah. covering amazing... You're playing Bruce songs. You're playing all kinds of stuff. It's, it's really a great record, and, 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 and we're going to link to everything for everybody. But you, you do, you do want to get nightlife for sure and 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 i'll even make you a deal anyone listening um, eddie will sign the record and okay. he will probably take a picture of himself at the post office with a mask on i'm sure now um yeah. mailing it out to you but i also understand that you know a new record's in the works you know you've had you've had some time here uh, this year do you have a name for the record a release date anything at that this point no, I don't. I don't have a name. No, I just been working on s- songs that I like to do. So, yeah, a lot of it will be like nightlife. Uh, there'll be cover versions of, of of songs I like to do. It'll be some originals and. Uh, well, I love the name "Have Sax Will Travel," which is on your new T-shirt. So I have yeah. to tell you, if that isn't taken, yeah. that's that's a great name. I was wondering if you could play maybe just a few bars of of a new song that you're working on. Um, just kind of give us a little bit of a tease. Okay, well that's that's a it's a little difficult playing. This. You can only play one note at a time on the That's sax, fine. You know, I so understand. It's, <laughs> it's still you know, really music. Compliment. But yeah, uh, yeah okay. Uh, I think I'll play uh, one song I'd like to have on this new record. So called "When Sunny Gets Blue." Okay. And, and uh, it's written by Marvin Fisher and Jack Siegel. First recorded by uh, Johnny Mathis and. 1956 and uh, Nat King Cole. And everybody's everybody's done a version of, of, of when Sunny Gets Blue, but I, I think that's what's fun for me. I'm not I'm not really trying to to prove anything. Uh, I'm just recording songs that that I've always wanted to record and and kind of document the way I sound as a saxophone player. And I just kind of pick pick songs that melodies that I like and right. You know, so I've been working on an arrangement of that. So let me. me Why don't you get set up? Yeah, sure, sure. Get yourself set up. Mm -hmm. 
Mannion, folks, from his upcoming record, which we will get you more details on. And you can actually link to Eddie's website, and you can have a chance to give back to Eddie for all of his contribution to the music we love. Eddie, that was wonderful. You still have those Half Sacks Will Travel t-shirts if people um, yes, want to go on the site? Yeah, yeah. Great. Okay. So that was terrific. The name of that song again was? When Sunny Gets Blue. When Sunny Gets Blue. That was... Yeah. That was wonderful, and it is not easy during a global pandemic when you're quarantined, <laughs> sitting in your house, to just pop on a saxophone and play. So that, <laughs> that was terrific. Thank you. I really appreciate that. So I want to have a little bit of a lightning round here because we could go on for days on a lot of different topics, but there's a few things that I, I definitely wanted to get to. And I guess we got to go back to the Super Bowl in Tampa because with Bruce and the band yeah. that night, I mean, this... For Bruce fans, for football fans, I know there's always going to be an argument about what was the greatest halftime show. For me, it's a no-brainer, and, and it's not up with people. So it happened to be uh, that show that night. But, but what was it like? Tell us about the prep. And after we all put the chicken fingers down, what, what was it like on stage? Oh, man. A lot of people have said it before, but uh, it's just the most exciting 12 minutes of my life. It sounded so powerful. We wanted it to sound great. And it just did. It, it, it really represented what the E Street Band sounds like, Clarence Clemens sounds like, what Bruce Springsteen sounds like. I mean, it just came together, and we played, we played our ass off. Bruce wanted it to be really special. I think that's one reason to use the horns, you know, and just 10th Avenue freeze out and... It just sounded fantastic. It's, uh, it's, it's really, it's really uh, I guess if I had to pick my favorite 12 minutes, <laughs> that would be right up there because it really, right. it, you know, it just, I just never get sick of watching the video. I, I, we, we, were on the, we were on the spot and uh, it was like, you know, we got 12 minutes and this really has, it's a Super Bowl. It really yeah. has to, to sound so, we just played naturally 
we've done a million times. Right. And it's probably the best performance of all time. Yeah. Oh, without a doubt. I mean, without a doubt. Um, yeah. And speaking of Bruce, you, you pl- I mean, yes, that's probably the largest audience that you ever Ten. played in front of. I mean, millions. Well, if you count 30 the, million people. Well, that counts. The, yeah, that counts. It was yeah. live, so it, it counts. But you did yeah. You did play for 150,000 people and rock in Rio. What was that experience like? That had to be pretty, pretty incredible. That's another one of those things. Looking out. You you get get there and um, you start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. And that's looking out in the audience and taking it all in and trying to, you see how big it is. Right. But that's not really what you want to do when you play with Bruce Springsteen. You you just, you need to be on the stage. Your eyes have to be on him and you have to just be ready for anything, you know, and, and uh, you can't be sitting there enjoying, Oh, this is nice. Uh, That's a great, I'm glad you, I'm glad you brought that up because that brings a great point. And, and for anyone that's seen Bruce in the last 20 years, certainly, and have been part of Bruce taking signs from the crowd, Mm -hmm. you guys really have to be on your game. Like you said, you got to be watching him, but you know, he's going to throw things out of nowhere. I'm thinking back to um, staying alive, for example, which he first played in Australia. And and then you played, I I was there the last couple nights at Mohegan Sun. Well, Um, staying alive is not something that that's not a sign. You don't, you don't just, I I mean, the East street band is great and we can just about play anything. Right. But, Staying live ain't one of them, you know. Yeah, staying, yeah. Staying, staying alive has to be rehearsed. Right, just like Purple, <laughs> so, Purple Rain yeah. was rehearsed. I happened yeah. to hear the sound check that night in Brooklyn, and I think it was rehearsed twelve yeah. times before he came on. Yeah. But but is there any other? Is, you pick I guess up a it's, sign. It's midnight hours and knock right. on wood. We're gonna know right. that. Right. You know, that's, that's, Were there any any songs down, over the years when you saw that sign? You're like, oh man. Boy, this I got to really look up. I mean, I assume you have iPads in front of you or something that clearly shows you the, the you know, the, the score. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to, trying to think. There was a, a, a few times, you know, and, uh, you know, on this past tour, uh, I mean, not past tour, but the Wrecking Ball High Hope store, Jake Clemens and I uh, shared, shared the saxophone role. And Jake was uh, responsible for most of the solos. And, you know, I, I was there to uh, to catch anything that anybody well, talk to talk to me. Know, you know, I played on that tour, and you were always yeah. there. Yeah, talk to so, me. So sometimes a sign would come up, and uh, you know, I'd look at Jake, and I said, "You know what? You know, and uh, most of the time he did, but sometimes he would look at me and say, no, I don't really know that one.' And uh, I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, "All right, well, you know, I I think I might know that, so let me, I'll I'll, I'll try to do that." And mm-hmm. uh, you know, and uh, I think that was one. I would think that came up like in, in Pittsburgh once. Uh, I want to. I want to be with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Right. And, oh yeah. And uh, and I I didn't I'd never played that solo in, really in my life, but I, sure. I think I think I knew it a little bit more to take the, take the chance. But yeah. yeah, there were there were times where both Jack and I would be we're like whoa, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, you know, but uh, we got the job done. And, yes, and, you always, always did. And, and so I want to circle back to yeah. the little kid watching the Beatles. All right. Yeah. And now all of a sudden, hmm. here you are with little Steven and the Disciples of Soul on this incredible tour that you guys did. Hmm. And you're playing the Cavern Club. What was that like in Liverpool? Yeah. Oh. 
Oh, first of all, it, you know, yep. playing with little Steven, nothing greater than that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I just enjoy it so much. And, and one of the things I enjoy is that you're always learning something and always, always trying to do different things. And one of the things he decided to do was all of a sudden uh, he decided we're going to uh, play a lot of Beatles songs mm-hmm. because we're going to Liverpool and he right. decided we're going to do this show at the Cavern Club, a special show at 10 o'clock in the morning, and we're just going to play Beatles songs. So it's one thing to be uh, working on new songs and old old songs. And right. when you're in the middle of a tour and then somebody says, well, we're going we're gonna to do some Beatles songs like Magical Mystery Tour and uh, Penny Lane. I was a horn director with right. little Stephen, but... Uh, you know, Stephen wrote all the horn arrangements, and they're all he he writes all the parts, and, mm-hmm. and I uh, I'm there to make his life a lot easier. And right. Nobody knows how he arranges more than I do, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, you know, and and from working with him for 40 years, I save him a lot of time putting arrangements together, and I put it on my computer, and I print it out for everybody to play, and then. He, come to rehearsal and Steven hears what I wrote that he arranged and then he'll change things. And it just makes the process go a lot, a lot faster. But uh, doing the, the Beatles songs, we we're on tour and I get a call. All right, we're going to do uh, Penny Lane tomorrow, you know? So then, then I have to write horn arrangements, you know, and those Beatles songs are very complicated. Sure. Uh, you know, it's like, you know, and uh, it was, it was, but it just paid off so well, and it was just so much fun. We did All You Need Is Love. We did Magical yeah. Mystery Tour. We did Penny Lane. We got to get you in my life. It's incredible. And if any, and folks, if you, you there is a the DVD of that as well. Right, um, that's, that's on out yeah. there, and it's it's incredible to see. Now, tell me about playing with McCartney. Well, I played twice with McCartney. Right. Um, once with Bruce and the E Street Band. Uh, Hyde Park. That's when the light, when they, uh, 2012, when they, they cut took, the electricity, cut, cut the, uh, cut the, the curfew. Electricity. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was an unbelievable experience to meet Paul McCartney. And, and, um, I was fortunate because my mom, I bought her a ticket to come to London. I had no idea that Paul McCartney was going to show up at the show. So I bought her a ticket and she's on stage. And then, and then we wind up playing playing with Paul. We did. Uh, I saw her standing there and uh, right. twist and shout. And then mm-hmm. then they cut off the power. And right. And uh, after the show, my mom met uh, Paul McCartney, and mm. uh, we we it, it was a big rainstorm there, and uh, that's why they cut off the power. I think. Yeah. And and uh, so we were we were all stuck in this tent for like a half an hour, mm-hmm. and. Uh, and she got to meet Paul, and I, uh-huh. I got to talk with him, and, and just a unbelievable guy. Yeah. And uh, and then the other time was uh, with little Steve, and uh, we, we played at the Roadhouse in right. uh, London, I think, two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. Two thousand seventeen. Right. And Paul came to the show. We had no idea that he was going to play with us. Matter of fact, he. He was just going to go sit in the audience. But by the end of the show, he decided he was going to play with us. So we played uh, I Saw Her Standing There. Right? So it was twice in my life get to play with a Beatle. It's not 
Yeah, not bad. Person. Not, not bad. bad. Not bad. Yeah. You know, and it, was, and it was just an honor, especially after working on all those Beatles songs. We took it very seriously. And, oh. You know, and the, the songs that are on the, the Soul mm-hmm. Fire live album, Right, that set is incredible. I mean, yeah. it, it, it. You know, Stephen is such a perfectionist. So, uh, so I love working with him because mm-hmm. you know it's all about the music. It's Absolutely. All, you know, Stephen has more fun being the producer and arranging than actually performing. I mean, he he loves to to practice. You know, to rehearse and right go over things and yeah. Um, and who you know, knew? So, so I, I'm just happy that I kept up kept up with them for three years and well absolutely i think think we we did like two or three hundred songs and not and you know you also now have an imdb credit as you make your film debut in christmas chronicles with kurt russell there there you go yeah Yeah. that was was exciting man that uh you actually got a check from netflix that was pretty exciting (laughs) too well, that's that, that's <laughs> and, a lot of fun, and um, I haven't even covered yeah. the, the Seeger sessions and but, and how amazing that must have been, and, and that show in Dublin. Well, I mean, uh, well, my talk, God! You talk about uh, two albums that have been on the album cover, on the actual album cover, right? Uh, 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 for two two records, and one was this time it's for real, Southside Johnny, right. and uh, that's this, and yep. the other album cover was, yep, there you are, Seeger sessions, yeah. You know, so well. Anyone that didn't get a chance to see the, those <laughs> yeah. shows, they were. I mean, I you know, I'm biased, obviously, in this world, but those those were those were just incredible shows. The jazz festival in New Orleans probably stands out, but I mean, yeah. just 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 incredible, incredible music and and playing in the the, the church in Dublin, and which is on the DVD. You're a Pittsburgh guy, um, and you've yeah. also played with Joe Grishecki a lot. You've been in his band. Um, you know, which is a, which is a Pittsburgh guy, but I also want to point out, um, because, uh, really where I got to know Ed was little kids rock, which was, uh, kind of the pre, the precursor to the shirt that you're wearing teach rock, which was a wonderful organization, um, that Maureen and Steven were very involved in and Maureen got me involved in that and wonderful, wonderful shows with the likes of Brian Wilson, Elvis Costello, Bruce, Alice Cooper, yeah, I mean, just fantastic. That's a great picture of the very large, final night at the Beacon. One of the best bands I've ever played with. Yeah, yeah. it's a really amazing Let's, band. And by the way, yeah. Jesse Wagner, while I'm looking at that picture, has yeah. just released, I think, an incredible record. And there you are on the record. Yeah, Je- Jesse, uh, an incredible songwriter, uh, singer. She's amazing live. Um, you know, she she can dance up a storm. She's a beautiful person. She played me a few songs on our last tour, Little Steven, when we went to Australia and asked me if I would write some horn arrangements for, for songs. And, uh, right. and that's pretty much what I did on our, our Australian tour. Every night I'd, I would listen to her songs. And, and then when we got to Asbury Park playing the Paramount Theater, we went in the studio and uh, I played tenor and Barry and had a trombone player and a trumpet player. And we, we did four four songs i think mm-hmm. she's pretty amazing. i look forward to yeah. when we when we the world is touring again uh having mm-hmm. jesse wagner and seeing her perform sure. because she's she I, I know how special she is so few yeah. last questions e- everybody so, everybody in that in the disciples soul band is special oh and all the, the same I, I could go on my friend ravi best who lives near me here in new jersey uh is, uh, is 
He's a boy. Is that guy a talented trumpet player? I mean, just just everyone, every single yeah. person on that stage. Yeah, the, the is, horn, is, horn is section was an incredible horn yeah, section. Yeah. Ron Tooley, Robbie yeah. Dust, Stan yeah. Harrison, yeah, Clark Gayton. Just you know, great. And the rhythm, the rhythm section, Mark Ribbler and yeah. uh, Jack Daly, Rich Mercurio, yeah, Banana. Um, yeah, an, an incredible band. So if yeah. you had to so pick, I'm very spoiled with yeah. as far as musicians. If you had to pick the favorite song that you get to play live with Bruce and that you've played live with Steven, what, what would it be? And I know that's a tough one. Well, I kind of like playing uh, with Bruce. I kind of like playing Hearts of Stone with the sax solo. Of course, the song yeah, opens I, with it. You're right, right. When we played it in Florida, it was, mm-hmm. I, I love playing that. Yep, I was um, there. I remember that night. <laughs> yeah, so many. Uh, I don't think there's a Bruce song I don't like playing. Yeah, but, exactly. You know, Radio Nowhere was my. I play a solo on that all the time. Right, right. Uh, you know, and uh, I did one show uh, February nineteenth in uh, two thousand fourteen in Sydney, Australia, where I actually played the entire "Darkness on the Edge of Town" album, being mm-hmm. the only saxophone player there. Wow, and. Uh, and you had the opportunity to play the Jungle Land solo with Southside not not a few months after we lost Clarence. I remember, I believe that was in Asbury because I think I I was there that night. Um, yeah. That was spectacular and well, obviously that, yeah. had to be John, painful. Johnny asked me to, to play that. Um, yeah. I never played it before in my life. I think I learned it two days before. Mm-hmm. I didn't didn't really know it, as you know, but but. Uh, by the no. time we played it, I just wanted to to play it in respect to Clarence. And well, you 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 respected yeah. him beautifully. That's going to be one of the yes. links, folks, that I, I mean, will I, put because it's it's, yeah. it's magnificent to see. I, I I was playing with the Jukes the night Clarence passed away, and mm-hmm. it, it was the probably the worst night of my life. Yeah. Um, I know. I, yeah. I unfortunately remember it well. So oh. one last question, which uh, is something that I kind of ask all my guests. And uh, originally, this question comes from a book by a guy named Tim Ferriss uh, called Tribe of Mentors, where he interviewed uh, lots of entrepreneurs and everyone all over the world. But I love this question so much. So you're granted a giant billboard that you <laughs> could leave Tim. any message on for the world to see right now. What would it be? And why? I hate to sound like a beauty pageant person, but uh, just love one another. Listen, that, that, <laughs> that actually is very similar to the answer most people have given. So that is, that is, that okay. is not, that is really as beautiful as it is. And Graham Nash might have said, love the one you're with, but I, 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 I think I prefer, <laughs> I think you prefer love one another. So, yeah. so what we're going to do, folks, is we're going to end, sure. end our show tonight with a magnificent recording. It's very haunting. It's a, one of the nicest versions of Amazing Grace that I've ever heard. But I'd love, Eddie, if you kind of just tell us the story, how that appeared on your first record. And I believe you did a version of Amazing Grace where you played it in the U.S. and at a different beach in Australia. If you maybe, would play it live, that would maybe, be even better. If we maybe, could take yeah. us out, whatever I'm, you want. I, I, I play that. Maybe you could go into A Change Is Gonna Come. That sounds because, great. You know, and that I did an instrumental version. That's on my last record, Nightlife. I did an instrumental version of uh, "A Change Is Gonna Come," primarily just because it's a great song, and of course, it was the greatest civil rights anthem of the '60s by Sam Cooke. So I I had the that recording, and I pretty much did it note for note, the strings and the you know um, 
French horn, and I just I just love the production uh, on that on that record, and uh, so so I had recorded that, but while I was in the studio, a horrific event happened uh, on June seventeenth, two thousand fifteen. Right. While I was in the studio, this this happened. And I couldn't believe this happened. And, and uh, it was the uh, Charleston uh, church shooting. Right. And uh, I know nine African-Americans were shot and killed during mm. a Bible study at the uh, Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church while they were at a Bible study. And I couldn't believe this happened. So I decided to, I wrote a string arrangement for Amazing Grace to be an intro into a change is going to come in respect for the the nine that, that died in Charleston, South Carolina, you know, so I did, did amazing grace. And I, and I, I was not the only one that, that thought about amazing grace at that time. Right. You know, uh, Barack Obama sang, he sang amazing, it. sang amazing grace right. at, at, at Reverend uh, Clemente Pinckney's uh, eulogy. Honest, honestly, um, one of the um, most beautiful moments that I've, uh, I've ever I've ever seen at his eulogy, you know, yeah. and you know, and he, he he was talking about amazing grace and the grace that uh, Reverend Clemente Pinckney was talking about in his sermons and right. and the amazing grace that we all find in our hymnals and and how relatives and family members how how they reacted to the shooting and and the amazing grace that they they exhibited throughout the process. And, and, uh, one thing, uh, Barack Obama, he said, he said about amazing grace. I'll, I'll quote this. He says, he said in, uh, at Reverend Clemente Pinckney's eulogy, he said, grace is not earned. Grace is not merited. It's not something we deserve. Rather grace is the free and benevolent favor of God. That was a moment in time just a great leader saying the right thing. We're going to end our show tonight with, with you playing um, a version of amazing grace. I just want to say thanks before you do that, Eddie, again, for taking the time to appear on my show. I thank you for your friendship. Of course, always being so kind to my mom, queen B as Stephen calls her over the years. (laughs) She's amazing. She is quite amazing. Yeah, Yeah, she she truly is. And she sends her love to you. Uh, That was fun. Was she, she was excited, right? She, yeah, oh so, my so, God. So, first, yeah, first yeah. opening up a show so, and then the opportunity to dance on stage and then to have Bruce Springsteen walk her off the stage, sit down with Bruce and Rich hmm. Russo took a picture that will last forever in my family of her and Bruce, similar to the, the what, what happened with your mom and Paul McCartney. Um, yeah. And I know you lost yeah. your mom, you know, not long yeah. after that. And, and I, I know yeah. how I feel so fortunate to have my mom and, and, and to have that experience that Stephen and Maureen provided and that the, 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 the elegance of everybody in that band did that night. So I, I really, yeah. I really always she's, remember it. So she's, she's a very special woman. Very, right. Well, very thank special. you. Thank so. you. So let me okay. also thank the editors for getting the show yeah. out so right. quickly. We're going to finish up with amazing grace and it's going to lead right into a change is going to come which is off the album Nightlife. Thank you very much for listening to Financially Speaking. And remember, enjoy the music.
Thank <laughs> you.